Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning again. Uh, My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I'm so excited to see you. We had an 8.30 service this morning. Anybody here at the 8.30? Double dippers, anyone? A few people? (laughs) There's no extra points for that. I'm just saying. (laughs) No gold star or anything. But we're glad that you guys came. We had the 8.30 service so that you guys could fit in here at the 10. And I'm glad we did that because it was getting a little more full at 8.30. So Um, I talked to someone this morning who invited their neighbor to come. Um, and their neighbor showed up. So how great is that, right? That they would cash their equity chips with a neighbor and say, won't you come to church? Because like church merch, who wants to come to church, right? But they invited him and they came and you're here. And I'm not saying that to embarrass anyone. And I'm not even going to point them out. But I'm so glad you've come. I've seen a lot of faces of people that I haven't seen for a couple years. And it warms my heart, right? That Christ would bring us all together again. So anyways, I mentioned earlier that it's not my goal this morning to try to convince you that Christ is raised from the dead. And yet, hear me when I say this, it's a big deal, yes? Yeah, oh my gosh, yes, it's the biggest deal. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, whatever you call it, we don't throw flags here. Whatever you want to call it is fine. But it's that Christ has been raised from the dead for us. It's not just a big deal today. I think it should be a big deal every day. Someone say yes and amen, amen. It should be a big deal for us every day. I once heard a pastor say that this should be the, head, the, heading or the, the leading news story every night at 6 o'clock on the news. Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. <laughs> that should be the big thing. It's a big deal for us. Would you agree? Yes, it absolutely is. And I want you to know that before we can even begin to understand how crucial this moment is in history, that we have to go back in the story of Jesus Christ to fully appreciate what's taken place. And so this morning, I want you to go with me on that way back bus and just think for a moment before Jesus was crucified. So before that Sunday morning when the women went to the tomb and found the stone rolled away and they peered into that musty old cave tomb thing and, and saw that the tomb was empty, before that took place, before the angel reminded the women that Christ has been raised from the dead, before that took place, before the Friday before, before the, the, when the religious leaders had the Roman soldiers come and take Jesus away from his friends in the middle of the night, before the, the Roman soldiers flogged Jesus, stripped him naked and beat him bloody, we've been told that, that Jesus was beaten so poorly that even his closest friends and mother even couldn't recognize him. He was so disfigured from the beating that he took place. Before Jesus had a crown of thorns placed mockingly upon his head, and before they robed him in purple clothes and and mocked him as being the king of the Jews, and before they spit on him and smacked him in the face, and before they abused him, we have to go further back. We have to go back before Jesus ever performed any of his signs and wonders, any of his miracles, before Jesus raised his good friend Lazarus back from the dead and into the living, before Jesus saw a woman with an uncurable disease who had wasted her life's savings with multiple doctor visits time and time again, trying to find a cure and no one could help her, before Jesus healed her in an instant when she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. 
We've got to go further back in the story before Jesus um, performed any other miracles, before he grabbed his 12 disciples, close friends, and made them fall, or asked them to follow him around the Galilean countryside where he proclaimed the good news of God, uh, the kingdom of God, and how to live a life that's worth living. Before Jesus did any of those things, Jesus appeared to be just a normal, young Jewish man. I would say that he lived quite an unremarkable life for a number of decades. And I use the word unremarkable intentionally because there are no remarks or comments about Jesus' life. His early life, from his birth, we learn about his birth, but until he's a young adult, we don't know much about Jesus' life. You never would have guessed Jesus was going to do the things that he did because of the things that he was doing. He wasn't doing anything is what I'm trying to say. If you look in the New Testament of your Bible, there are four biographies about Jesus' life. We call them gospels or good news accounts, the, the, the life story of Jesus. And it's the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And all four of these accounts, they tell us the miraculous story of Jesus' birth. Some of you know this. It's the story of Jesus being born of a virgin named Mary. Not at me if you've heard the story. Merry Christmas, everyone, right? That's the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And then there's this obscure little story when Jesus was a young boy. We don't know exactly how old. I don't think, but he had gone to Jerusalem with his family. Uh, they went up there to, to celebrate a religious feast. And a, a bunch of people from the countryside had all thronged into Jerusalem, into the capital city there. They celebrated the feast. And after the feast was over, all of the families sort of migrated back to their hometown. Um, and Jesus' family did the same thing. But Jesus got separated from his family. He got left behind. We don't know that they left him behind by accident. We don't know if Jesus intentionally stayed behind. We don't know this. But just he was gone for a few days. Jesus was missing from his parents. This is every parent's nightmare when they take their kids to a Disney World or the State Fair, Right? That your kids, and they're not the same thing. If you don't know the difference between the State Fair and Disney World, you haven't been to Disney World. I'm just saying, they're different, radically different. But he was missing for a while. But outside of that little obscure event, we don't know anything of Jesus' life outside of his, his birth and when he was a young adult. In fact, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. So he was a young adult. He was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And what I mean by that, when he began his public ministry, I'm, I'm talking about the moment he was baptized. There was a man in the wilderness. His name was John. John had been sent out into the wilderness by the Jordan River by God himself. We'll get to that in a moment. And John is outside in the wilderness, and he's baptizing all of the people that kept coming out there to be baptized. And Jesus went out there one day to be baptized. And he was being baptized by this guy named John the Baptist. We call him John the Baptizer, which makes sense, right? And John is recorded of telling us something that transpired during the baptism of Jesus, something unique, something uncommon. In fact, John had baptized dozens, hundreds, possibly thousands of people in the Jordan River in the days before and even after Jesus. But something happened when Jesus was baptized that was so unique and different that he testifies to it. And, and one of the gospel writers recount it here. In John chapter 1, we read this. That John the Baptist testifies. He says, I saw the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, descending like a dove from heaven, and it rested upon Jesus. And I didn't know Jesus was the one. 
But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and the one you see the Spirit rest on, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Pause right here. As I mentioned earlier, John, before he went to the desert, this wasn't his great idea to baptize people. Who has this hobby? Anyone? <laughs> right? <laughs> I was going to go throw people in the, in the lake when they're not paying attention. Um, it wasn't that, that, that John had actually been sent by God himself to do this. And there was a purpose behind it. We don't know all the details in it. They were being baptized into repentance. But when Jesus comes, something unique happens and it's different. And John describes it. It's like when Jesus went into the water and came back up, the spirit of God himself came down and rested on Jesus. And it stayed with him. And because God had told John to watch out for this moment, it was to declare to him that something special was happening and that this particular person, this Jesus who was coming, was unique and special. And John continues to testify here. He says this, that when the Spirit stayed upon him, I saw this happen to Jesus. And so I testify. I'm telling the truth here, he says, that he is the chosen one of God, that Jesus is the chosen one. Of all the names and references that we could give Jesus, that we could call him, we could call him our savior, he is, we could call him redeemer, we could call him healer, he is, he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, he is our king, yes and amen. Of all the names and references that we could call him, perhaps the most profound is this one, that he is the chosen one of God. Now, we can nod our heads and think, yeah, I think I get what you're saying, but listen, before we can really grasp what God is doing here, we have to answer a few questions. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I'm very inquisitive. I doubt a lot. Any doubters in here? Fellow doubters? Thank you for being honest. The rest of you, God bless you. <laughs> right? Some of us, we doubt. We're just wondering. But there are some questions that arise when I, when I read something like this. And I put them before you. And this is my task today, to answer these three questions. The first is, if Jesus is chosen, he's chosen by whom? Who chose Jesus? Secondly, we have to answer the question, chosen for what? And the last question is this, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter to you? Does it matter to me? Oh my gosh, the spoiler alert, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, yes, the answer is yes, it matters a lot. But before we get there, let's go through the first question first. Chosen by whom? Yes, somebody shouted out chosen by God. Thank you for that, extra credit, right? Chosen by God. Yes, Jesus was chosen by God. But know this, when we look through scripture, it is replete with stories of God choosing people to do tasks for him. If you know the stories of your Old Testament, you might know the name of Isaiah. Isaiah was chosen by God with a specific purpose that God used him. God chose his grandson, Jacob, to be used for a specific purpose. He chose Another Jew named uh, David who was going to do something great for God's kingdom and do a bunch of stuff there. He chose prophets and prophetesses to declare the words of God in, in a dark time when people needed to hear from God. God would choose these prophets to declare to God's people, I think God's saying something to us. I think we should pay attention to what's happening in the world around us because God is up to something that he would choose people. And as we already discussed, God has chosen Jesus here. The prophet Isaiah, as I mentioned earlier, he records something as a voice of God. He's speaking the words of God to, to, to God's people. In Isaiah chapter 42, we read this. He says, look at my servant, whom I strengthen, who is, he is my chosen one, who pleases me, and I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nations. I bring this passage up because there's a couple things happening here. If you're like me, 
I always wondered, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I didn't grow up in church, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I had some friends down the street that I think were Christians, I think some of them were Jehovah's Witnesses. At the time, they were all the same to me. They're not, I'm just throwing it out there, right? They're not. When they come knocking on your door, just act like you're not home, I'm just saying. Is that okay? I mean, I do that when my family comes over, I act like I'm not at home. So I can surely do it for Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm just saying. But if you're like me, when I didn't know who God was, I question all the time whether or not God was even real. Like, is, he, is it true or not? And, it, and if he is real, what's he like? Well, Isaiah's telling us what God is like. It, he's given us a picture of what, what he is as a person. That God, in, in, fact, in fact, emotes. It just means that he, he has emotions. He has feelings. He thinks. He has thoughts. And, and many of those thoughts are towards us. And towards you, look back to Isaiah. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He's my chosen one who what? Who pleases me. That God finds pleasure in those that he chooses. This is profound. Most scholars believe that this writing in Isaiah is one of the servant songs. This is going to be boring, so check out for a moment. But if you're with me, you're with me. But there are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. This is the first of them. Uh, Sam quoted one in worship earlier, Isaiah 53. That's the fourth servant song. The servant isn't mentioned in Isaiah. We don't know who it is. They didn't know who it was. They thought it was maybe Isaiah. They thought it was maybe the nation of Israel. They thought it was a bunch of different people. But it's only after looking through the lens of the New Testament, through the cross of Jesus Christ, do we now know that this is actually talking of who? Jesus. That it's speaking of Jesus. That The servant songs are speaking about him. This is a prophecy, a promise of who Jesus is going to be. And Jesus pleases him. And he, he was so pleased that God chose him to do something. And so we wonder if God exists. We know that he exists. We know that who he's like because he feels things. He has pleasure. He finds delight and joy. And not if we leave Jesus aside. Hear me when I say this. That, that God feels delight and joy and pleasure in us. That he chooses us. He chooses me, and he chooses you. And some of you might think, oh my gosh, I, like, oh Jeff, if you knew the things that I did, right? If you knew my thoughts, <laughs> listen, oh my gosh, like, I can fake it. Anyone else? Like, I can totally fake it. I can be nice to someone and like, like want to burn them at the stake in, inside my heart, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a spiritual gift, I think. I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> But I can do that. I can like not like I can fake it well. But like so I can like if you're judging me from the outside, you're like, yeah, Jeff's pretty good. He's a pretty good guy. You don't know my heart sometimes. And some of you are thinking even the same thing. Jeff, if you knew the things that I've done, if you knew the thoughts that I had, there is no way God would like me. There's no way you would like me. And you might be right. But praise God, I am not God. Even better, praise God that he ain't like me. He ain't like me. You know, God's delight and pleasure and joy is not found in the things that we do. What? It's not found in the things that we think or say. It's found in who we are. It's found in how he's created us, that we are made in the imago Dei, in the image of God. God's joy and delight is found upon us because of who we were made to be. When he sees us, he sees the hope and the future that he has for us. He doesn't necessarily just see our actions. He doesn't just see our failings, the dark thoughts, the, the choosing darkness instead of light, the choosing death instead of life. He, he looks beyond those things and sees us as who we are intended to be. That's why God finds joy and delight 
some pleasure in us. It's not just based on the things that we do. And to prove that point, I go back to the story of Jesus' baptism. Back in the wilderness, John the Baptist holds Jesus in his hands and lays him down into the river, submersing him, bringing him out. And when that happens, as he's already testified, that the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. Jesus is in the water and a spirit from heaven begins to cry out. Look at what it says here in Matthew chapter 3. And behold, a voice from heaven spoke and said these words. This is my beloved son. This is the one that I am well pleased. This is the one who brings me great joy, the New Living Translation reads. All of this was spoken about Jesus, wait for it, before he did anything in ministry. Before he saved anyone, before he he healed anyone, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, before he did a thing, God says, I am pleased in him because who he is, not what he does. The same is true for you. The same is true for me. It's so interesting to find people stay away from church or stay away from Christian people because you ever have that friend that says, man, I'd go to church with you, but as soon as I walk in, lightning's gonna strike the building. And you're like, that would be awesome. You should definitely come to church then. Like, I've never seen that happen. You should come. It'll be great. We'll get tacos after. I don't know. But so many people stay away from the things of God because of their past. They, they say things like this. I need to clean up before I go. Like, I'll, maybe I'll become a Christian. I had a good friend of mine, one of my best friends growing up. He said, Jeff, I'm going to live my life however I want. And right before I die, I'm going to become a Christian. And I was like, good luck. Good luck with that. And the reason they want to stay away is because they don't, they don't want to bring that sorrow and that shame and that regret from all their actions and thoughts. And I just want you to know, man, God is looking at us for who he's made us to be, not for the things that we've done. And I can say that confidently because of the work of Jesus Christ. I can say that, that we bring great joy to God and we bring it to him because of who we are, not what we've done. And so God chooses people in scripture. I mentioned um, Isaiah earlier. Isaiah was a man who lived in a faraway land. This is before the Jewish nation existed, before Israel. Before, I mean, this is way back in the Old Testament that Isaiah is living in this pagan nation, serving an unknown God, not the true God. And God whispers something to him. He says, hey, Isaiah, I want, you to, I want you to, I'm sorry, I'm speaking of Abraham. Forgive me. Speaking of Abraham. And he speaks to Abraham and he says, listen, I want you to, to leave your, your nation behind. I want you to leave your family behind. I want you to leave everything you know to be normal for you, and I want you to come into something brand new that I'm doing. And it says, the Bible tells us that he did so, that Abraham left by faith, that he followed God by faith. He didn't have to believe God because God was proving himself, he believed God in faith. And when he believed God in faith, something changed for him. Something so radically transformed his life that a whole nation was birthed out of Abraham. In fact, we call Abraham the father of the faithful. If we have faith, it's, it's patterned after the faith of Abraham. He chose him to do something that had never been done before. God chooses people all the time to do something that's never been done before. He chooses people all the time so he can radically transform their lives. He did so with Abraham, and he can do so in your life. He chose Jacob as well. Jacob was a grandson of Abraham. Jacob had 12 different sons. God changes Jacob's names to Israel. And Israel has these 12 sons. Each of these 12 sons become patriarchs of tribes. Each of these 12 tribes grow in mass and number and become unified 
to become a nation called Israel. We have the nation of Israel through a man named Israel. And God chose the nation of Israel to be God's people on the earth, to show the rest of the world what it looks like to serve and worship the true God. What it looks like to serve and worship a God differently than all the other nations, to be unique and different, to be holy. That's the language the Bible uses, that Israel was set apart and different. And that's what God wants for us, that we might be set apart and different, that we'd be holy. He chose a young shepherd boy, David, to be king, to unite these 12 tribes together under one king in Israel. He chose prophets and prophetesses, as I mentioned earlier, to declare the, the voice of God in dark times. Every once in a while, we need to hear God's voice, yes? Every once in a while, we need to know that God is saying something, and we need to stop everything and pay attention. Every once in a while, God so shakes the world around us that we can't not but notice that he's up to something. I would argue that we are, we are living in such a time today. I would argue that today is a great time when God is up to something in the lives of his people. So God is using people that he chooses to act as agents on the earth. So Jesus was chosen by God. Question number one. Question number two then is, Chosen for what? So he was chosen. Why was he chosen? Chosen for what? And to answer that question, we got to go even further back into the story. We got to go back into the story of the beginning. If you have a Bible, it's in the very beginning of your Bible. It's in the book of Genesis or the beginnings. That's what that means. Genesis, the beginnings. And in the, the very first few pages of our Bibles, we read that God created everything that exists. God spoke out of nothing and everything was created out of nothing. That God spoke into existence everything in existence, everything that exists, even humanity. This is the story of the Garden of Eden. This is the story of Adam and Eve. Maybe you've heard this story, anyone? Not at me and I'll move on. Yes, this is that story from your children's Bibles growing up or whatever. And Adam and Eve are living in this pleasure-filled, awe-inspiring environment with God to live peaceably and amicably along with each other and all of creation and with God permanently, eternally, with God, completed together. And God gives them this one job description, to be fruitful and multiply. Wouldn't that be an awesome job description these days? Like, think about it. God says, just go do things, like, and be fruitful in it, right? Just, like, prosper in everything that you do, and multiply, and do it again, and again, and again, and again. That sounds like living to me, I'm just saying. That you're always succeeding in everything that you're doing. And they had this opportunity to do exactly what God wanted for them, but Adam and Eve made a choice. Much like God chose Jesus, they also chose something too. But they chose something different. They chose to disobey God. God had given them one command, you can do whatever you want. Be fruitful and multiply, but don't eat of this one tree. We know this story. They disobeyed God and ate of that one tree. And in that disobedience, sin entered into the world. In fact, that's what the Bible calls sin, is disobedience to God. And in that disobedience, death entered into humanity. Sin and death, eternal separation from God. God banishes them from the garden. And all of humanity henceforth has been... Uh, born into this condition of sin. Call it our spiritual DNA, if you will. We have a, a proclivity to sin. It's, we come by it naturally. This is so true of us that if we were left to our own devices, we would never, ever seek good things. We would never, ever seek the things of God. We'd always seek to better ourselves, to push other people down, to take advantage of situations. We'd always do those things because something inside of us is bent towards darkness and death instead of light and life. So Jesus 
And in that moment, God says these words. He says, as Adam and Eve sin, as he finds them in the garden, hiding because of their sin, in shame and sorrow and regret, God finds them and he does something. And he also makes a choice in that moment. And I want you to see this, that God made a choice in that moment to, to do something that helps us today. I'll tell you what God didn't do. He, t- he did not turn a blind eye to sin. He did not go, well, we'll see how that works out and we'll find, I'll check in with you in a couple years and see how it's going. He didn't do that because we do that sometimes. We see people close to us doing things that we know is, is destructive and harmful and we go, eh, he'll be fine. <laughs> he just had a rough day at work. It's just a tough week, tough year, COVID, anything. I don't blame anything. Blame anyone. But he doesn't turn a blind eye to it and he doesn't wash his hands of it either. Well, we tried. He goes back to wherever he was before. And we do that sometimes too when some people wrong us and we say things like, that's it, that's the freaking fourth time I'm done with them. Done with them. And uh, what's that? You can block people in your phone. You guys do that? Uh, show of hands. How many people have blocked me in their phone? <laughs> Would you like to see who I've blocked in my phone? <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Um, no, God doesn't do that. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. He dresses it. He doesn't just say, I quit. I tried. He doesn't. In that moment, he says he's going to send Jesus to fix it. That Jesus was chosen to fix the sin issue. That Jesus is going to do something. He's going to eradicate sin. He's going to do something unique and different that no man can. And he's going to fix this problem. He's going to take the issue of sin and death and separation from God and fix it. And he does so through the cross. That on the cross that Jesus Christ took the, the, the weight of all sin, of all people, of all humanity, of the world upon himself and the punishment of said sin, which is death upon himself, and he breathed his last and died. And they buried him in a grave. And if that was the end of the story, we're sunk. But it's not the end of the story, which is why we're gathered here today on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, because God on the third day, what, raised him from the dead. And in so doing, he left sin behind. He left death behind. He left shame and sorrow and regret behind. And he has forged a path for us to have a a connection with God again, that we can be reunited with God, that God would place his spirit inside of us, much like when Jesus was baptized and the spirit came upon him, that when we believe the story to be true, that God places his Holy Spirit inside of us. It's called the seal of our salvation. It's like, I don't know, the down payment, so to speak, the earnest money, what escrow, I don't care. Whatever language you want to use, that he's given us something inside of us and he's made us new. The spirit inside of us does something that we can't do for ourselves. We desire darkness and death. The spirit of God desires life and light and something in us when we believe the story to be true and the Holy Spirit comes, it changes the way we think about things. It changes the way we act. And over time, it changes who we are became a Christian some 26 years ago. I met a girl named Stacy, who's now my wife. Um, side note, she's in Spain right now. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> with <laughs> drinking cappuccino and eating biscotti or whatever at a freaking cafe in Europe with my other daughter. <laughs> While I'm over here slaving away at my job, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm fine with it. No, honey, you go ahead. Have the trip of a lifetime. I'll stay. I'll carry the dog outside to go poop at 3 a.m. That's fine. I'll do. 
let me take care of all the things that need to be done. No, I'm, I joke. I mean, I'm not, she's there. Anyways, so I met my wife, Stacy, and Jesus in the same year, in 1996. And um, my family, after a couple of years, my mom came to me once and she said, God, uh, Stacy's really changed you, hasn't she? For the better is what she means. Because I was a tool. I'm just saying, I'm just a terrible person. And, and, and my wife's, or my mom saw this change in my life and she just assumed it was Stacy. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Stacy had a lot to do with it. What I'm trying to say to you is that it was God who was changing me. All the desires in, in me that w- was causing me to live um, weekends of debauchery and shame and sorrow, <laughs> right, was, was being torn away from me, was being changed. And so God, over time, by his Holy Spirit, he begins to transform us, and he gives us hope, and he gives us a purpose in our lives. He allows us to do something that we never could do on our own because Lord knows we've tried to change our lives, yes? Yes. So God chose Jesus, and he chose him to save the world from sin, to rescue all the world. And he did so because of his great love for us. May I remind you, he didn't have to do this. <laughs> he created it. It's his rules. He didn't have to, but he did. And why is this? Because you have so much value. There's so much value in who you are. There's so much love that God has for us. That's why he sent Jesus. The final question we have to answer then, if Jesus was chosen by God and chosen to save the world, the question we have to ask is, does it matter to us? Oh my gosh, yes. You're supposed to all shout yes. I I didn't give you the right cue. Does it matter to us? Yes, it does. Of course it does. It does. It should. It will. I promise you, it will matter. There'll be a day when, when you have nothing else to hang on to. I have, um, is it okay if I go off notes for a moment here? This feels right. And if it doesn't work out, we'll blame Joe. Is that okay? <laughs> it feels good. Um, I have a friend that I grew up with. And um, thank you, Bella. I have a friend that I grew up with. And um, we went to grade school together. I, was in, I played in the bands. He was in my first band together. Um, and he's the one guy, I tell you, I don't know if I told you this, but I always invite one person to Easter service every year. I, one, I have one friend. I should invite more. I know I feel shame in this, but like I, I invite one guy and I hit him up on Friday. I said, hey, friend, I won't tell you his name. You can figure it out, but whatever. Um, and I look in my text thread. I have not texted him since Easter last year, right? It's that kind of relationship. We're best friends, but we don't talk anymore, right? Anyone? I say, hey, it's Easter Sunday. He goes, what's up, Jeff? And I said, hey, it's Easter Sunday. He goes, I know. And I said, we're having two services, 8.30 and 10. You should come. Nothing. No response. I go to bed. I'm like destroyed. I'm like, Lord, I prayed this year for him. Lord, you can do anything. You can fix him. You can help him. Nothing. I wake up in the morning and I, my phone has a text thread from him that is so long, like if I printed it, it would probably be two or three pages. Seriously. And he begins to tell me how the last few years he's been a functioning alcoholic. At one point he was drinking, hear me, a bourbon, a, a gallon of bourbon a day, a day. This is my best friend growing up. And you can imagine how this is destroying. He goes, Jeff, I'm, I'm telling you what, 4 a.m., a couple months ago, I asked Jesus to change my life. 
And he did. He goes, and I haven't, oh my gosh, dude. He goes, and I haven't drank since. Most doctors would tell you never stop drinking when you're drinking that much. Cold turkey, because your body could actually kill you. Like it would turn on you. He goes, I had, I had no um, hangups medically. I quit drinking. I haven't touched a drop since. And he said these words to me. If he can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, then he can change my life too. He goes, Jeff, I'm telling you what, at 4 a.m., my life changed at 4 a.m. He goes, I didn't have to come to Renaissance. I love you. He goes, and I'll stop in some point. And I don't know, shake your hand. I'm telling you, Jesus changes lives because he loves them. Guys, he changed my life. He's changed so many lives here. And for some of you in the room, you're wondering, what is the way out of this current situation that you're in? Hear me when I say this. Jesus is no genie that you're going to rub his lamp a certain way. He's going to fix everything for you and th- give you all the things you think you want. I'm telling you what he's going to do. He's going to make you new. And over time, he's going to change your life from the inside out. Friends, neighbors, family will begin to see this transition in your life. And over time, you'll begin to worship. You'll start saying things like hallelujah. That's such a strange word. Who says hallelujah? Right? And these things start to happen in you because you begin to realize what God has done for you. When I became a Christian at a church, a pastor had just asked everybody to bow their heads and to repeat a prayer. My prayer went something like this. Lord, I'm an idiot. Lord, I'm a fool. Lord, I I chase after things that aren't you. I mean, I just went on and on and on. I was laying it all out there. You know who I am. You know the things I've done. But I believe the story of Jesus now. I'd heard it so many times before. I could count the times I heard it, but I never heard it until that Easter Sunday. And God rescued me. He placed inside of me the Holy Spirit and it changed my life. My family is different now because of what Jesus has done. My my future is secure because of what Jesus has done. I have a purpose and a plan in my life that far exceeds anything I could ever imagine for myself. God has downloaded from heaven above a unique plan for me. And he has one for all of you. It first involves not doing your thing, but surrendering to his thing. And if you think it's painful, and if you think it sucks, and if you think it's gonna make your life miserable, you're wrong. You've been lied to by the media, by your friends who aren't, you've been lied to. I'm telling you, following Jesus is the best decision anyone could ever make. It is 100%. I'm not trying to, there's no, I'm not like, we're not asking you to sign up for anything, (laughs) nothing. This is the real truth. I said earlier, I don't need to convince you that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. I don't need to. I don't need to convince you that you need Jesus. The Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince the world or convict the world of its sin, not in some damnable way, but in some way that says you need help. You can't help yourself. You're stuck and I can rescue you, but you have to let me do it. God can do that this morning. And he wants to do that in the lives of so many people here. In fact, would you just bow your heads? I just wanna ask some people, if you want to be like, like, um, like me, <laughs> you know, 20 some years ago, I, I, the pastor said, does anyone want to be a Christian today? Does anyone want to follow Jesus? And, and he says, if you do, just raise your hand. So I'll ask the same question that he asked me 20 some years ago. Does, 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 is the Holy Spirit talking to you about the truth of Jesus? And do you want to know what it's like to follow Jesus? And if so, would you just look at me or raise your hand at me so I can just 
see you right on, man. Yes, let's go. Come on. He is so good. Yes, yes, amen. Thank you. Yes, amen. I'm not going to call you forward. We're not going to do any of that stuff, but we're going to have the band come back out. We're going to sing a couple more choruses of how good God is, of how our shame was left in the grave, that he is alive. And if we, if you sing those things and believe Jesus can come into your heart, just confess to him that I've blown it. I've made it all on my own. I've sinned against you and everyone I know, God, but you can change me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he was chosen by you to rescue me. I believe all of that can change in my life today. Not a year from now, today you can begin to change my life. And if that's you, just say that to God. Just say it when we sing. Just say it sometime after the service. Come up front and meet with someone and just say, say, I want to follow Jesus. Help me with that. And we're going to help you today. God loves you so much. He has so much planned for you. He has so much um, intended for you. There are good things you've got going in your life, but there are better things with him better things with him, more than you can imagine. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this story that we celebrate, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive, but God, may it be something we, we celebrate all the time. May we be reminded of it, even in our own lives every day, that Jesus is alive, that your spirit is transforming me. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for everything that you've done. We are undeserving of your great love, but you, you were willing to die on a cross some 2,000 years ago before I was even a twinkle in my parents' eyes. Lord, you've done something for me that I could never do for myself, and I thank you for that. Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me even from myself, Lord. Lord, I thank you for everything that you do. God, I thank you for the story of my friend who's been delivered from his addiction and, and, and the countless stories of men and women that who, who you've rescued from addiction the countless stories of people you've rescued even from despair and anxiety and depression that you are a miracle working God and you are not done doing miracles. And we have to have faith, Lord God, to believe these things in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. God bless you. I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 